for any hypochondriac, a pandemic is just the worst nightmare. My dream is that environmentally, the crisis is a catalyst for the changes that we weren't able to make fast enough. A kind of collage and from that you can begin to discern what's true, what's not so true. And it's a startup during Corona, so it's been quite difficult. It's a great space. It's a, it's a, you can concentrate, you can think, and there are good people. Hi and welcome to Oslo Media House podcast. My name is Chaitra. The guest for today's episode is Leslie Copeland, a journalist from London based in Oslo, market reporter, editor, writer, analyst, editor-in-chief, for the financial magazine in London, is now working as editorial and content director at The Next Billion. Let us welcome Leslie. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, could you tell our listeners how you are part of Oslo Media House? Uh, yes, I about a year and a half ago or more, I was doing some freelance work for... Uh, a magazine in London and a few other people and I needed a place to to work, to think and to write. I'd spent a long time uh, looking around and I had visited uh, a lot of places in Oslo that have working spaces but I got, I got uh, a little bit uh, frustrated, irritated by so many workspaces because they were all in the startup uh, environment everyone was developing an app everyone was working on social media everyone was trying to take over the world with uh, an idea and an email address and I just really wanted to work <laughs> amongst uh, people who were working as journalists who were working in the media sector who had definite projects for businesses that existed talking about real things that um, were in the world. So I wanted a, a comfortable, easy place to work with like-minded people. And I found uh, Oslo Media House online and I sent a message and I think it was, uh, Oslo Media House was probably the only website that didn't then send me 25 marketing emails and a million messages on on social media. I wasn't bombarded with offers and all sorts of stuff. So I actually then just went down and knocked on the door and uh, Magna was uh, very friendly. He showed me in, he sat me down, told me to try it out and uh, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been uh, using the workspace now? Uh, on and off for about uh, over a year, year and a half, something like that. Oh, that's great. So you totally recommend everyone if they are looking for a workspace, you have to yeah. knock on Oslo Media House. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, maybe uh, maybe I'm, my approach was slightly old fashioned. I do like to bang on doors. But uh, yeah, it's a great space. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, you can concentrate, you can think, and there are good people. Yeah, I agree on that. Yes. 
uh, tell us how pandemic has changed your life. What have you been doing these days of self-isolation? Uh, I've been doing, uh, rather ironically, uh, what I did before I found uh, a place to rent in town. I am now back home working in the home office and um, I am sharing my working space with my wife and uh, periodically my kids. So I'm trying to do all the things that I've previously done, except that uh, the house is filled with people who, who eat and make noise and take up my space. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So as a journalist living in Norway, how are you coping with such crisis? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to... I read the news and I listen to the news at very uh, distempt. I've forgotten my English. At, at very decided <laughs> parts of the day. So I read it once in the morning and once in the evening and then try not to, to get uh, drowned by the sheer volume of, of uh, news bulletins telling us how much has been affected and how much has gone wrong. <laughs> yes, be quite I think, disciplined. Uh, yes, uh, I totally agree. I same here. I am not switching to news for every 30 minutes. I'm just like going through it one time a day or twice a day. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, so what is your opinion on the current state of media industry? Are they losing credibility in a way? Uh, I, I don't know. I It's often quite hard to have an opinion because the... The, the part of the media that I am expert in is something of an, it's quite, it's a, it's a niche market. And um, so it, it's always dangerous to think that that represents the entire sector. But I guess the benefit of being, of being a, uh, of not being from the country that you're in is that you are more prone to to read many other different news uh, sources. So I read British news, American news, Norwegian news, Irish news. So you begin to get a, a better balance of information. So it's not that you think, oh, the Norwegian news, they are always just doing what the government tells them or they're hiding stuff from us, you then begin to think, well, this is what they're saying in Norway. This is what they're saying in Ireland. This is what's coming out of London. And then you can piece them all together. So you make a, a kind of collage. And from that, you can begin to discern what's true, what's not so true, or that bit of information's missing. So I don't, I'm not really concerned about the credibility or otherwise of news sources because almost everybody can put together a, an accurate picture if they if they read and use and absorb enough news sources is that everyone has their every news organization and every country have their own biases and yes. have their own particular points of view and they not that doesn't necessarily always correspond to a truthful accurate picture so the more news sources you absorb and the more and the more countries' news sources you absorb, you, you, you're better able to get a picture of, of what's, really, what's really going on. Hi, 
Here are some messages from our sponsors and advertisers. This podcast is produced by UBM Broadcast for Oslo Media House. If you need help to launch your podcast, vodcast, streaming of live events, debates or seminars, UBM Broadcast can help you from A to Z in our online studio as well as in our physical studio. Exhausted by working from home? Become a member of the new Oslo Media Club. Get access to our launch and workspace in central Oslo, secure and according to the standards set by the health authorities. If you want more information from our sponsors and advertisers, contact me on my email a-l-e-x-e-y at o-b-m dot n-o. Have a good day. So could you please uh, share your experience working for media in the UK and Norway? In the UK, I worked as a financial journalist and editor, primarily focused on on stock markets. And that, although that's a pretty specialist area in the UK, that industry is huge and it's it's pretty rigorous and it's 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 very professional. Uh, there's there's a there's very many very many journalists working in that every single newspaper and and then all the specialist magazines and of course the the stock markets there was three different types of stock market so it's a very developed uh ecosystem in norway it's it's not so much the stock market is is, is pretty small it's very dominated by by the government uh by local authority actors and uh and there aren't that many journalists covering it and the expectations from the general public are also lower because people don't own shares directly so there's not a so it's difficult to compare one with the other uh in saying that uh the biggest difference i've found is that i think to me a lot of the business journalists feels like it's been written for a Saturday magazine. I get to know the people. I get to know what their business does. It's very lovely photographs. Uh, but it, it's not hard-hitting, analytical, independent journalism per se. It's, it's, it's business coverage, but yes. not business journalism. That's not true for for everything, everywhere, but by and large, uh, it's my experience. Okay. That sounds quite negative. I didn't really want it to be that. No, that that's uh, that's your perspective on the way you differentiate. Yes. Uh, I mean, for instance, uh, I, I I joined uh, I joined a startup uh, a couple of years back. Okay. Uh, this IT company, and I I was there on the recommendation of uh, quite a respectable chap. But the guy who ran it, he was he was quite unique, and I had been brought in to make sure that the money that was being invested would be used exactly and appropriately. But when I got there, I discovered that there was no plan, there was no strategy, the product wasn't developed, and not a lot of people had. It wasn't sufficient financial controls, and the business was actually just an idea, and nothing else. Whereas we had been led to believe that very many things had been completed and achieved. 
And then two days later, uh, in what had today, Doggins Narings leave. We had yeah. two pages on our business, and we had discovered that there was there was nothing here to justify saying a single word to a journalist, and and I just I couldn't believe that a national paper would would profile our business and. There was nothing there to justify a single word of what was going on. And I didn't really know what sort of editorial controls go on here, what sort of checking is permissible and so on and so forth. So that was my first real uh, taster of of Norwegian business journalism. But no, as I say, it, it was a wonderful story, but it had no bearing on the actual fact. So there is some ethical ethics missing, journalism ethics missing. <laughs> No, I think there was just, there was just some fundamental business uh, research missing, you know. Check the accounts, follow the money, and then move on from there. What is your vision for the next year? How will pandemic change uh, the society? What are your thoughts on it? I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, so it's very difficult for me to be very optimistic. For any hypochondriac, a pandemic is just the worst nightmare. So that's one thing. On the other hand, I think that something has fundamentally changed in that um, prior to the pandemic, we were we were all of us becoming ever more concerned about all of the environmental concerns, quality of the air, congestion, um, what's happening to the weather, changes in weather patterns, it was far too hot, there were droughts and so on and so forth. And absolutely every, certainly every Western democracy is very concerned about how much we need to change and how we would need to change that. And I think I'm hoping that the pandemic and all the problems that we're having now uh, will enable us to accelerate all of the things that we need to do. And and in a way, um, we we probably won't need to have the, the great revolution that we're thinking of. Um, for instance, if you look at the if you look at the what's happening in the oil sector, uh, yes. prices have collapsed. Futures prices have collapsed. Um, we are we've already reached peak oil. We already have far too many producers. It's Saudis and the Russians living off their currency reserves. And oil as an investment class was not attractive. It's even less attractive now. And it looks as if the COVID or the coronavirus crisis will accelerate oil's unattractiveness as an asset class. And we're already, many European countries are already at 25-30% of renewable energy. France and Spain and Germany, the Swedes are at 50%. And we are on the cusp of an electric car revolution. So demand for oil is not going to increase. We've got far too many producers. We are already making serious um, strides towards weaning our economies off oil and gas. And I suspect that uh, as this crisis drags on and people's behaviour changes in terms of using public transport, using bicycles, acceleration of electric cars, all of that will just continue to hammer oil. And from that, we can come out the other end in a, environmentally speaking, hopefully a different situation. So 
my dream is that environmentally the crisis is a catalyst for the changes that we weren't able to make fast enough. So your role as editorial and content director, could you tell us something about The Next Billion? It's sort of the holding company of uh, two, two other operations, one of which is Profile Me and another one is Globally Spotted. And I'm primarily working for Globally Spotted and it's a means of highlighting and showcasing um, really innovative businesses in very many different sectors that are being that are either founded by or or run by uh, women. Oh, okay. What, what do you produce there? Like, what sort of content? If you're interested in um, diversity, and if and if you're interested in products or services, where where you want to know a little bit about the owner. Uh, what we do is we, we 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 write what the business is doing, why they do it, why it's different, why it's amazing, and we also uh, provide a provide commentary and a little bit of uh, biographical detail on on the women who have founded them. So it's okay. it's it's based in Oslo, but we have we have little we have freelancers and photographers and other people out all over uh, Europe who who are trying to spot and identify great businesses run by women and the people who support them. And, um, yeah, that's the goal. Oh, that sounds great. On paper, it's great. It's, it's a lot of hard work. It's a social amplification platform. We want more people to know that ever more women are, are running businesses and driving businesses and... Um, eventually we'll get a huge database of information where we will be able to better analyze and produce reports and go on from there. But it's a startup and it's a startup during Corona. So it's been quite difficult. Good luck with your uh, startup. (laughs) So before we end this podcast, uh, would you like to share a memory connected to Oslo Media House? The one that sticks in my mind was I was doing work for, uh, I was doing some communications work uh, and marketing. As a freelance journalist, sometimes you've got to take business contracts to earn money. And I had been used to working on and off in various company offices. And it's always cakes and coffee and, uh, and very nice and lots of water. And then I'd been around the, the startup environment in Oslo. And again, it's uh, loads of people and coffee and cakes and so on and so <laughs> forth but I think the first I was there at Oslo Media House on a Friday it's the first time that I'd probably worked the whole day there and then at two o'clock Teria and Alf had a meeting with an author I'm not quite sure whether they were celebrating the launch of a book or the completion of a book or or whatever I didn't know any of the details of the meeting but instead of cakes and coffee and water uh, the only thing that I could see that was a big part of the meeting was a big bottle of whiskey sat in the middle of the table at, <laughs> in the afternoon. And then I thought to myself, ah, there's something here. <laughs> so that's, that's the first thing that sticks in my head when I described Oslo Media House to a few friends shortly afterwards. That's what I talked about. 
So it was a nice change. It doesn't happen very often. Of yes, that doesn't happen in every uh, workspace, though. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you, Leslie. Thank you for yep. joining me today and sharing your thoughts and experiences. Well, that's all for today's episode and uh, thank you for listening to us. This is Chaitra signing off.